Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Nakubo in Brief. I'm Sue Mendito, Senior Director of Accounting Policy with Nakubo, and I'm joined today in the booth with Sharon Henley, Associate Vice President and Controller at the George Washington University. And we're going to talk about something today that, that no debits and credits, so, but forgive us if, if we use the word some sometime over the next 15 minutes or so. But we're going to talk about something that we think is should be of great interest to folks across campus and essentially translating financial information. For accountants, we don't think about it because we work with financial information. But Sharon, on campus at GW, it sounds like your office, and maybe you could tell me a little bit about what your office is responsible for, but it sounds like you probably have to explain financial information to a lot of different people. Absolutely. So at George Washington University, the controller's office includes financial reporting and accounting, the usual suspects, the tax department, grants and contracts accounting services, so all of our sponsored uh, projects, federal and otherwise, procurement, um, gift accounting, endowment accounting, and um, some financial systems, so uh, dashboards and, and data analytics types of activities. So it's pretty uh, broad strokes. And financial information originates in a lot of places outside of my office as well. For instance, at the development office or in the research office. So sometimes we're left answering questions about how the numbers that we report uh, coincide with the numbers that come out of those other offices, which, as you can imagine, aren't always exactly the same number. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a lot of different areas. I mean, when I think about going all the way from tax through development, mm-hmm. and then you're including research, that's a lot of information. So what types of people ask you uh, or, or question you about the financial information, and what's the most typical question you might get? So first and foremost, it might be our uh, senior leadership at the university, either the president's office or the CFO's office, where we produce a financial statement that shows something like contribution revenue. And they'll look at it and say, hmm, this doesn't look at all like the number that I got from the development office. Can you help me understand what's different? And that type of question comes not only from senior leadership, as you can imagine, the governing board, the board of trustees also often has similar questions. So whenever we uh, publicly disclose numbers that even sound like they should be the same definition or same thing, we try and have a ready answer for what the differences are between the perspectives on uh, how those numbers are developed. So it sounds like based on senior leadership and a few other high-profile stakeholders, you thought, hmm, 
there's some interest in understanding the differences among the numbers and how we might crosswalk from the financial statements to all the different areas that have interest. Crosswalk is one of our favorite words. So crosswalk's your favorite word. So you've somehow uh, made that process more systematic so that when a question's asked, I guess, or tell us about it, when a question's asked, it's, sure. it's an easier answer. So uh, some of our crosswalks are actually... Uh, regular board reports. The attainment one is a common example, and that's one of the first ones. It's been in place for years. In fact, it predates my time at the university. And it's uh, quite literally a one-page document that gets from the number reported by the development office as total attainment for the year to the number that's on the financial statements as contributions um, in as few as eight or ten lines, just to Uh, give the trustees the broad strokes of why those numbers are always different. Um, So that's a regular report that we prepare uh, actually quarterly for the board. And uh, even though we don't release release the audited financial statements every quarter, we do have the internal financial statements so that we can update them throughout the year on major differences. But then we took that same approach to a number of other uh, publicly disclosed numbers. So anything we report in iPads, anything we report on our single audit report, uh, in surveys such as the NSF Herd survey or the uh, Nakubo Endowment survey. So anything that's a public information tax, the 990 that you mentioned, um, to have public uh, data, uh, you know, information that's in the public domain that doesn't agree outright with each other, we try and have uh, readily available in our work papers the the reconciliation, which is just a fancier accounting word for crosswalk. Um, to answer questions quickly and maintain credibility in the information that's reported. So the attainment uh, or the development, Mm -hmm. kind of going from what your development or advancement people think they really brought in to the final number on the financial sounds like the, uh, the impetus for it all. That's where it all began. Did you work with your development or advancement people on that crosswalk? So we do, because the information, we need to understand what's in their attainment number. Um, And we have regular reconciliation procedures as far as what feeds over to the general ledger for financial reporting anyway. Um, But we work with the development office to understand the major categories of what they include and understand the case standards under which they report um, and how those differ from the generally accepted accounting principles under which we report. So... And the the differences are, you know, once you start to tell people or have the trustees look at what that reconciliation looks like, um, most folks go, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand. For instance, bequest intentions, the uh, attainment report uh, or development report includes the full value of those bequest intentions, whereas on the financial statements, we can't recognize that as revenue until... um, much later in the process, either when they're received or when the wills enter probate. Um, Another common example is uh, planned giving arrangements. For the financial statements, we do a present value analysis to figure out what we can recognize as revenue today for those gifts that we anticipate receiving in the future, whether it's a charitable gift annuity or a a perpetual trust. Um, Whereas for the development report, they recognize those at face value. So their number is always bigger than the number that's on the financial statements. But when we uh, show some of those major differences to the trustees or other interested parties, um, people get it pretty quickly. 
do you use plain English or plain language in any of uh, so let's we'll, we'll stick with attainment for, sure. for a while do you kind of make the language a little plainer for people to understand and do you have people beyond development or attainment or advancement whatever you call it at mm-hmm. GW and beyond the trustees asking for that information out of curiosity sure um we probably use even plainer language than I described it here. Um, for instance, the bequest intentions. I've got a note on here that says they're not recognized on the financial statements until received. That's a shortcut for what the real accounting rule is. Right. But for this audience, I don't need to go into the details of the real account, uh, real accounting rule. It's really just the, the quick and uh, understandable explanation. Right. It's an intention. We didn't get it yet. Yep. So it's not on our financials. Right. So tell me about another one. So attainment was the first, and you mentioned tax. Uh, You've mentioned iPads, maybe. So tell me about another one, and then uh, maybe tell me about the most interesting request you've gotten for a crosswalk. Okay. So let's take the 990 as an example, and it's hard to make that one a one-pager, you know, quick and dirty, because if you've ever looked at a 990, you realize that they report Everything on the 990 that we have in our financial statements, but in entirely different categories. Um, It's like we threw all the numbers up into the air and they landed in different line items than they did on our financial statements. So um, that one can be a little more detailed, but some of the... um, the broader strokes that we use for it, the expense... um, uh, categorization on the 990 where we have program expenses and management in general and fundraising. We compare those broad categories to our functional expense reporting and to the extent that there are differences um, there, we have a, a quick uh, crosswalk to reconcile those numbers. There's also an understanding that on the, the 990, um, they even some things that we call a contra revenue or a reduction of revenue, such as our tuition discount on the 990 shows up as an expense. So understanding how uh, the different presentation of numbers based on the rules uh, really results in what could be vastly different numbers between the two. And if you were explaining it to any stakeholder uh, outside of accounting or the controller's office, you would say that it's financial aid yep. or it's... Uh, and I'd never use the word contra revenue that I just yes. used. <laughs> <laughs> and so the 990 is pretty complex. So you probably right. have like six different crosswalks yep. within it. and Yeah. And there are pieces within that. So even our like investment disclosures, all the investments end up in different buckets on the 990 where the real estate is actually listed with the the land that we own for the campus, like our other fixed assets, but real estate investments end up in that bucket. So understanding how the different pieces fit together on that form, you're right, does take uh, probably six or eight different crosswalks. And so what about some of your um, internal reporting only, like budgets? Mm -hmm. I would imagine a lot of people may want to understand how you go from the annual report, the glossy that they see on the website, to to a budget for their school or their department. Right. So we do, uh, one thing that we have made a conscious effort at in the last several years is to at least have the same line items on the budget uh, that we have on the financial statements. So that takes one level of questions out of the equation. Um, so the, to the extent that we can be consistent in those uh, components of revenues and expenses helps people uh, kind of see how the 
the breadcrumbs fit together in a trail. But we also have a crosswalk because our operating budget does not include everything that's in our GAAP financial statements. Even the what we call the operating column on the GAAP financial statements doesn't have everything uh, or actually has more than what's in our operating budget. So we have a, a crosswalk for that particularly, again, for the trustees, as they are used to seeing that operating budget and forecast throughout the year, and then they see our financials at the end of the year. And then we can also break that down, break those reports down to the school or department level uh, using the same reporting tools like the uh, data warehouse and the dashboard. I don't have to pull up a different report format. I just show them how I can filter it down to their particular unit at the university. So do you get a lot of questions from faculty on budgets? Um, we do. And you asked earlier um, about one of the more interesting ones we've been asked to do. And this is where we have gotten questions from our like faculty senate finance committee. They look not only at the financial reports that we produce, but they look at financial reports produced by others about us, such as the rating agencies. So we are rated by both Standard and & Poor's and Moody's. And they do their own metrics and calculation of our operating results. And as you can imagine, their formulas are never the same as ours either. So those are the more some of the more interesting ones that we've had to prepare a crosswalk for and understand how what they report as our, you know, bottom line net income or margin for the year might be different than what we've reported. Um, those have also been some of the more challenging ones to produce because we don't calculate uh, Moody's and Standard and Poor's. Uh, margins. So we have to uh, figure out their formulas and kind of look behind the curtain to see what they do with the information. Uh, we've reached out to our analysts at both organizations and really tried to develop an open uh, communication channel and working relationship with them so that we understand how they analyze our numbers. And then we can also, as a result of that understanding, be able to help them understand our financials better to the extent that we have unique aspects that they might not be used to from other uh, organizations that they rate to help them understand our financials. Um, and then once we figure out maybe not 100% of the secret sauce, but uh, most of the recipe, then we can prepare a high-level crosswalk for the faculty or the president or um, others who might be interested about why why Moody's said we had a different net income than we said we had last year. You know, this sounds like a pretty big effort um, uh, for you and your staff. Mm -hmm. Do you have a secret to share about how you have approached this effort or maybe how it has become a little more streamlined over over time? Sure. Um, So to the extent that a reconciliation is based entirely on information that's in our general ledger system. Once you've done it a few times and kind of have the procedure down beyond just a desk procedure or how to do the spreadsheet for it, um, a few of them we actually have built reports from our data warehouse. So it's literally as easy as running the report um, at the end of any given period, which is great to make it very um, quick and easy and repeatable. Others are a little less uh, easy to do that way because we might be looking into different systems. For instance, our advancement system, the information about the gifts is not 
um, accessible to us right now in the data warehouse in the same way. So that's a more manual process. We've got enough people who understand the process that if we need to divide and conquer or uh, assign the responsibilities to someone else, either during an absence or during a heavy workload period, we've got a bench that's ready to step up and do that work. Has this helped you when... um you know, we think of the controller's office as, as financial accounting and reporting. Does it help at all for the external reporting you do? Because it, you're regularly looking at things. You know, it absolutely does because at its heart, a crosswalk is really a reconciliation. So we've built into our procedures that we complete some of these before we really close the books. Um, and it helps us make sure that we aren't missing something, especially if we get an unusual or... Um, a new type of transaction, a new type of gift come through that some of those things kind of drop out in preparing those crosswalks so that we can uh, dig in a little more and make sure that we're treating it correctly for the financial reporting as well. The kind of the most important question or what's really piqued my curiosity is what type of goodwill has this created across the university, across campus, across the many internal stakeholders or the uh, and perhaps some of the ex- I, I yeah. consider trustees a little bit of internal and an external sure. stakeholder. Sure. I think it's um, there are multiple layers of this and the goodwill. Part of it is we're talking to people, our counterparts in those other offices throughout the year. So we're establishing good relationships with them and have open communication so that when new types of transactions come up, um, we don't necessarily have to find out about it after the fact or, you know, and play catch up. We're in that conversation all year long and, and we consult with one another. So that's been awesome. The other thing that I think has really been beneficial about this is when we get into meetings or discussions, by having the the translation between the numbers or the crosswalk already prepared and everybody have seen it or understand it, the conversation doesn't become uh, contentious of, well, I don't believe your number, it's different than my number. We move past the differences in the numbers and then can talk about the business itself. Um, you know, what uh, what are the strategic plans and, and not spend time either debating what the right number to talk about is or um, kind of uh, fostering this sense of distrust because I don't know where your number comes from, but it's different than my number, so I'm not going to listen to anything you say. So we don't have those types of conversations, which I know um, from my past experience at GW uh, before we developed some of these and with other organizations can really eat up a lot of the bandwidth and um, kind of get in the way of the organization moving forward. I would also think that people see you as helpful and would, I'd like to think that, too. <laughs> and then, then maybe they'll come to you with a question on the front end before, you know how accountants are, you, yep. you see things on the back end and it's like, oh, I wish you had asked me two months ago. Yep. Do you find you're getting, you're getting more heads up? We do get more of that, especially on the, what I would call the truly unique type of arrangements, whether it's a grant agreement or a gift. Um, sometimes we actually even get to see a draft before the document's finalized and kind of help weigh in on that. Um, which has been invaluable. So uh, we're almost out of time today, but to me it sounds like you've made a process that can be somewhat painful. You've uh, kind of operationalized, so it happens like clockwork. You've got a variety of different crosswalks that you do. Yep. Uh, It's well known that your group does them, and it's appreciated. It advances the conversation because there's credibility in the numbers, and people trust, trust your group. Yep. 
Uh, you now hear about some unusual transactions earlier, so you can figure them out. Yeah. Uh, it's enhanced goodwill, and your trustees appreciate it because they don't have to ask as many questions and take up board meeting time. Absolutely. I think it really does enhance credibility. And the the good part about having it regular regularized in our procedures is that by the time somebody does get around to asking a question, we've already got the answer ready to go. So it takes, you know, a half an hour to send out that email um, rather than, oh, let us look into that and get back to you next week. So having that information at our fingertips ready to go and make sure that we not only give consistent answers, um, but we can answer quickly. And that really uh, helps reinforce our credibility as well. And user-friendly answers. Yes, absolutely. So with that, we're basically out of time today. And uh, I hope that others appreciate and learn something from this. And uh, I I guess we'll see you all on the next uh, Nukuburum Brief podcast. Sounds great. Thanks for having me today. I enjoyed being here. Thank you. Thank you.